perfection isn't the goal. Being liked by everyone isn't the goal. The goal is progress. The goal is impact. The goal is to learn from your mistakes. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Carly Fiorina. She's an American businesswoman who was an executive at AT AT&T before she went on to be the first woman to run a Fortune 50 company when she took over as CEO of Hewlett-Packard. And after leaving HP, she pivoted into politics. She started as a political consultant for John McCain and in 2016 even ran for president herself. Now she remains focused on finding the next generation of female leaders in the GOP. Carly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the conversation, we want to warm up a bit with a lightning round so we can get to know you better. Quick questions, quick answers. You ready? I'm ready. The quick is always the challenge, but I'm ready. (laughs) I agree. I'm getting nervous having another Carly here. Okay. First of all, what is your Carly nickname in your family? Well, Carly is a nickname. My real name, my full name is Carlton. And for a whole bunch of reasons that won't fit in a lightning round, Carlton got to be complex, including the fact that I received a draft notice when I was in college. So I therefore took on the nickname that my mother had for me, which was Carly. And now it's fashionable, but at the time it wasn't. Well, I never (laughs) knew this. I didn't know Carly could be a nickname. Okay. What is your first job on your resume? (laughs) Answering telephones for a nine-person real estate firm. Do you have any secret hobbies or skills? Ooh, secret hobbies. Well, I love to cook. I am one of those women with animals, probably, I would say. (laughs) Although I I do draw the line at pushing them in a baby carriage. (laughs) That is a good line to draw. I'm pretty crazy about my animals. (laughs) So I was reading that you were a brownie growing up, but never became a Girl Scout because you moved around so much. True. That being said, top Girl Scout cookie, go. Oh, oh, mint. Absolutely mint. There's nothing close to it. All right, fair. Next would be peanut butter. (laughs) Better choice. Yeah, better choice. I I didn't want to judge you, but that's my favorite. Inbox zero or inbox a thousand? I would say I generally keep around 15 because they're things that I have to do. So if it's something I dispense with, it goes away. If it's something I don't want to deal with because it's not necessary to deal with it, it goes away. If I need to deal with it, it stays in until I've dealt with it appropriately. Same. I admire that. Okay. My last question. Who's the last person you texted? Uh, My granddaughter. Uh, What's your guilty pleasure? Hmm shoes. Mine too. It must be in the name. Good answer. (laughs) All right. Let's get into the heart of the show. So Carly, you started at AT AT&T in management training and reading about 
some of what you dealt with then was, was shocking. Like your colleague who once told you that the only way you could meet the clients was to go to the strip club with them. When you reflect on these moments, like how do you think about them now? Like my jaw was dropping when I was reading about this. Well, first they are shocking now. Maybe in reflecting back, what's surprising is how unshocking they were then. They were terrifying, but not shocking. Yes, my first business meeting was in the strip club. When I became a boss for the very first time, my new boss introduced me to my subordinates as, this is Carly, our token bimbo. I mean, I could go on and on with stories that are truly shocking now and that were somehow not shocking enough back then. However, what I will say about those experiences is it taught me courage, which is a really important thing to learn in life, particularly for women. And it also taught me that good things can come from really bad circumstances. I went to the ladies' room for hours to think about what I was going to do about being told that I couldn't show up at a meeting that was important for me to be at because it was being held at a strip club. And so I found the courage to go. I was afraid to go because I thought I would look stupid. I did. I was afraid to go because I'd never been in such a circumstance before. The good thing that happened is when my male colleagues asked young women in this strip club to come over and dance on top of the table while I was there, Every single one of the young women who was asked came over, looked over the situation, and said some version of, not till the lady leaves. And so I found this connection with these women that I thought I had nothing in common with, and it turns out we had a lot in common. And the other good thing that happened is when I went back to the office, everything had changed. My colleagues back in the office thought, huh, this woman's got a pair. And she's not going to get pushed around. And they also thought that my male colleague was a jerk. So I gained something, actually a lot, in that terrible, terrifying, shocking experience. If that happened today, how would you respond to a situation like that in 2021? It's unfathomable like that you ever experienced that. And I'm just so curious, like, what would you do? I mean, first of all, now I would probably laugh in the individual's face and say, what are you effing kidding me? And do you want to go to jail? Do you want to get fired? I mean, what are you talking about? It would be a totally different reaction. I dare to say most men are smart enough now, even the awful ones, and most are not awful, (laughs) but even an awful man, I think, would be smart enough now to realize that isn't something you should do. When you think about the hardest lessons that you learned as a junior employee? How do you look back at them and how they helped advance your career? So I think learning courage is really important for careers and for life. And so while that was a hard way to start to have to learn courage, I appreciate that it accelerated my learning. I learned a trick that I use to this very day, 
which was while I was sitting on the floor of the ladies' room for all those hours, I kept saying to myself, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And I, I worked myself through what the worst thing that could happen was. And then I kind of was able to face the worst thing that could happen. I've used that technique ever since. And I've learned that courage takes practice. It just takes practice. We're all afraid of something. We never lose our fear. Fear is part of our human condition. But as we practice courage, we just get braver and braver so we can confront bigger and bigger things that scare us. As someone who successfully worked their way to the top, what are some of your best tips for anyone who's part of a minority group? Meaning when you started, you were one of the few women in a male-dominated industry, whether it's being female, LGBTQ+, a person of color. What's some advice on how you can navigate office politics? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is the reality that it's different when you're different. Times have changed and hopefully what happened to me doesn't happen today. But what I mean by that is the scrutiny is different. The criticism is different. The expectations are different. The hurdles are different. And so I think when you're different, you have to grapple with that reality. And it's why courage is so important. Having said that, I've also learned that every single one of us, no matter how junior, no matter how different, no matter how overlooked, actually can make an impact. My life teaches me that, but the lives of so many others I've met along the way teach me that as well. And so what I would say is, while it's different, don't hide your light under a bushel. Be who you are. Be who you are and bring it all. Because most people aren't bad. They're just clueless and thoughtless. And if you make an impact, they actually will work with you. You know, talking to you like today in, in 2021, thankfully, it is not very rare to have a female CEO. It's becoming less rare to have a female CEO running a public company. But I want to like contextualize in 1999, when Hewlett Packard recruited you and made you CEO, you were the first ever female CEO of a Fortune 50 company. You got a reputation as being really tough. How do you think about that today? Well, it's an example of it's different when you're different. So when I was hired, by Hewlett Packard, I was hired by their own admission, as they said in their press release, to transform a company that was losing its way. Change is hard. Transformation is harder. And so that meant that I, I was hired to make difficult choices, tough decisions. And so when you are making difficult choices and tough decisions, sometimes you have to be tough and brave <laughs> and you have to be willing to withstand all the criticism that's going to come your way. And it's always going to come your way, but it's going to come even more your way when you're different. 
And when people get really confused about, wow, this is a woman CEO, is she assertive or is she just a bitch? And that word was used a lot. I mean, there was a lot of commentary about my wardrobe, my hair. Had I built a private bathroom? By the way, I had not. But that was a recurring theme in the press. But you can look about that now and we can contextualize it. The times were different, et cetera. But in that moment of literally being called a bitch, being told employees are not the biggest fan, you're either with her or you're not. How did you actually feel as Carly Fiorina, the person? Yeah. What was that like? So one of the things that I had learned before then, you asked about the tough lessons I'd learned early in my career. Thankfully, one of the things I'd learned before becoming a CEO is that if you're going to lead, if you're going to change things, if you're going to have an impact, and particularly if you're different while you're doing all those things, you will be criticized. It is part of it. It comes with the job. And so I went into this job knowing that I would be criticized. Did it hurt sometimes? Yes. But frankly, I didn't spend very much time paying attention to it. I learned that from Oprah Winfrey, who said, do not read your press. And I didn't. Because if you recognize that criticism comes with the territory and you don't get thrown off course by it, and you realize that the critics are always the loudest, but the allies are actually bigger in number, they always are. I had many allies who maybe weren't as loud as the critics, but they were there. If you realize all of that, then you can put criticism in its proper context. Okay, they thought I was a bitch. Okay, but I was there to get a job done, and I needed to get it done, and the job was bigger than their criticism. I'm not saying it was easy, but I think if we can put criticism in perspective, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's a hard lesson to learn in these times, because guess what? Everybody's on their phone, on social media, looking at the criticism day in and day out. And my advice would be, don't. Look for people who are willing to give you feedback, but critics are critics. They'll always be there. I was actually going to ask, how do you begin to look at the difference between feedback and the critics as you talk about? Is it the intent or the source? How have you learned to separate it? Well, both in some ways, but feedback is telling you something you need to hear that is true and that will help you get better. In other words, feedback comes from people who care about your success, and the content of it is designed to help you be more successful. That's feedback. It doesn't mean feedback is easy to hear. Feedback is frequently very difficult to hear. <laughs> but feedback is designed to help you become stronger and better and more successful from people who want you to become stronger, better, and more successful. Criticism is just, I don't like you. I don't like what you're doing. Maybe I'm jealous or afraid of what you're doing, but it's not intended to help you get better. It's intended to hold you back and cut you down. So at the end of the day, most jobs 
end, whether you want them to or not. How did you manage your reputation after being fired from HP? Well, all the way back to the issue of criticism, because it's related to this. Yeah. I was fired by a split decision of the board, uh, a decision in which I chose not to vote, although I could have (laughs) as chair and CEO and a board member. We had board members speaking outside the boardroom to the press and revealing confidential information. And I thought that was wrong. And I thought that either they left and stopped doing it or I would. And people were not willing to take these two board members on. So we had a fundamental split over this principle. When the board made that decision, they gave me the option of saying that I was retiring because I had accomplished everything that we had set out in those six years. And because it was common knowledge that I was being courted for a cabinet position. That was not true, although it would have been easier and I would have avoided a lot of public criticism. And the other thing that I've learned in life is if you start telling a lie, you never get out from under it. And ultimately, you sell your soul trying to figure out how to extend that lie. And so I said to the board, we will tell the truth. You fired me. I knew that there would be massive criticism. And there was for 18 months. And for 18 months, I said not a word. But I also knew that given enough time and enough information, the truth would come out because it always does, particularly now in this day and age. And eventually it did. And then when it did, which included the board sort of unraveling in public, the publication of my own book, which told the truth, when it did, I had no fears about my reputation because I had done what I thought was right for the right reasons to the best of my ability. And I had told the truth. It doesn't mean everyone's a fan. It doesn't mean everybody agrees with everything that I did. But what it does mean is that I am at peace with who I am, what I've done, and how I presented myself. You sound very like centered and calm. You know, we were new managers when we started the skin. So we went through all the mistakes you could go through. We're still making them. And at times, definitely were too tough and maybe not tough enough and dealt with sort of being liked and not liked and how that can be painful and then how you develop tough skin and miniature versions of kind of the bigger problems you were dealing with at HP. We never had your sense of being so calm and centered. What makes Carly Fiorina freak out? Like, who do you freak out to? What makes you like, oh my gosh, I need a moment. Well, I think those are different things. And I will answer your specific question. But let me just say first that one of the things that I think women in particular have to get over, and I guess I got over it a long time ago because I had to, is perfection isn't the goal. Being liked by everyone isn't the goal. The goal is progress. The goal is impact. The goal is to learn from your mistakes. I guess I started out in so many jobs where I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, gosh, every job I went to initially, I had no idea what I was doing. I was a medieval history major. I was a secretary. I taught English in Italy. I was completely unqualified. So I guess I never aspired to perfection. (laughs) 
but I think a lot of women do. We got to be the perfect everything, you know? The goal is to learn from our mistakes, except that we're going to make them. We all do. And not everyone's going to like us all the time. So sometimes respect is more important than affection. Look, I'll be very honest and tell you, after the drumming I took in the press globally when I left HP, after losing a daughter to addiction, after thinking I was going to die of cancer, after losing my mother in an absolutely horrific way, there isn't much that freaks me out. Honestly, I've learned I can get through it. It's not to say I can get through it alone, but I can get through things. Doesn't mean I don't need a moment. It doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not irritable and not at my best, but I don't tend to fall apart. When you think about when you've done things without preparation or the idea of trying to be perfect or, or doing them for the first time, for instance, going back to AT&T when you were in charge of their huge IPO, how do you get up to speed on things like that, especially when you're learning in the moment? I think there's a big difference between doing something for the first time and not being prepared. I always take the time to be as prepared as possible. It doesn't mean you've done something before, but I do take the time to prepare myself. For example, way back to the strip club, before I ever said I was going to meet those customers, I knew everything there was about them. Before I went into that strip club, I sat and role-played for hours how I would behave. I went through in my mind, what is this going to be like? And who are these customers? And by the way, down to what should I wear? I mean, I was stupid looking. I carried a briefcase, for God's sake. I was in a severe suit. I'm not saying I made all the right choices, but I prepared myself. When I took the CEO job, I had never been a CEO, but boy, did I do my homework before I walked in the door so that I didn't feel totally at sea. The IPO, no, I had never done an IPO before, but I had done a lot of preparation about what would this entail? How do IPOs usually go? How do I think the company should be positioned? The more time we take to prepare ourselves for a new experience, the less freaked out we get when we are in that new experience. And then as we are experiencing new things, instead of freaking out, hopefully we're in a position where we can say, okay, I am learning as I go about how to do this. The reason it's important to get prepared is so that we are not afraid of something new, because when we stop challenging ourselves with new experiences, we stop growing. We stop advancing. So speaking of growing and going to do experiences, after leaving, you decided to choose a really calm and peaceful path of going into politics. <laughs> Why do that? What made you want to make that move? Yeah, it's a great question. The reason I decided to get involved is because I do think 
that we have many, many problems that politicians are not stepping up to solve. Because I think that we have politicians who are so focused on running and winning, running and winning, running and winning, that they never get around to solving the problems that are right in front of them and have been there for decades. And that's not a partisan comment. And because I have learned that my core competence is problem solving. So that's why I got in. Now, you could say it was incredibly naive and foolish to do so. (laughs) And that might be true. I hope that I made a difference in voicing some of the things that I did. But what I want to say to all the young women out there, young and not so young women who listen to your podcast, who are out there is, Don't be afraid to try something new, even if it is as big and potentially scary as running for president, because your voice can and will make a difference. Get prepared as best you can, steel yourself for the criticism that will inevitably come your way, and remember who you are and why you're in it, and don't sell your soul along the way. What's harder? Boardroom brawl or political debates? That's a great question. They're different. I would not say one is harder than the other, honestly. If you had to do one tomorrow, which would you prefer to do? I don't know how to answer that question. (laughs) I I don't regret either one. I would do a presidential debate again if that were called for. And I would have the same boardroom brawl again if that were called for. All right. No regrets. So we have a question from one of our listeners. Mercedes wants to know, Any advice for handling tough or hard to hear feedback? I think we've uh, established in this interview that you've definitely gotten it. But when it comes to falling into the camp of feedback, as you said, can be just as hard, if not harder to hear at times. What's your process for when you hear it? So the first thing that I would advise, don't respond. Ask another question. Let me explain. When we hear tough feedback, our immediate reaction is to respond and defend ourselves or respond and counter. No, 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 that's not what I meant. Or no, 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 you're misinterpreting. What happens when we immediately respond is we get into a back and forth instead of learning more. The way we always learn more in any situation, including tough feedback, is to ask questions. The question I would advise someone to ask is something like, tell me why you feel that way, or why do you say that, or give me another example. All of those responses, questions, elicit more information. And what you need when you're hearing something difficult is more information and, frankly, more time to process that information. I would also say when it's all said and done, when whoever's giving you this feedback has given you this feedback, ask for the time and space to process it. Don't feel like you got to wrap it all up in a bow. Say something like, you've given me a lot to think about. I'd like some time to think further about it. And then I'd like to get back together with you. It's really, really good advice. That's really hard to do in practice. And I'm going to try to do that too. Yes. Last question. Who else should we have on the show? 
Oh my gosh. That's an impossible question. I know. Sometimes folks no one's ever heard of, frequently folks no one's ever heard of are just extraordinary. Good advice. That's great. Well, Carly, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to to have you back with the skim and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. I will look forward to it. It's great to be back with you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.